back to another episode of the University Podcast. Today we have Annabelle Chauncey with us and she is the co-founder and CEO of School for Life, which she actually founded while she was in university. Um, and School for Life is a not-for-profit focused on building schools in Uganda and breaking the cycle of poverty through education. So thank you so much for joining me, Annabelle, today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess the first place I wanted to start broadly is what inspired you to start this project and start it in Uganda? <laughs> Good question. I was actually um, studying to be a lawyer. I was studying arts law at Sydney Uni. Um, and I'd finished my third year of um, university and I'd finished, I'd graduated my arts degree and I decided to take six months off because I hadn't taken any time off between school and uni. So I thought it'd be a good idea to take six months off and go and do some volunteer work. I was really passionate about being an international lawyer and being able to contribute to some type of human rights work, um, potentially to work for the UN, I guess, at the time was one of my ambitions. So I decided to sign up to go and teach English to children in Kenya. And I decided to work with an organisation called World Youth International, which is a South Australian-based NGO. So I put uni on hold, saved up um, the money that I needed to go over and um, went to Kenya and when I arrived in Kenya unfortunately uh, six weeks after I arrived Kenya erupted into civil war uh, which certainly wasn't part of the plan um, but I guess when I first arrived there I was just blown away by the number of kids in East Africa who simply don't have an opportunity to go to school or for those who do just the quality of schools that they attend is just so poor you know often they're in a mud hut they've got no access to electricity running water they don't have any pens, pencils, books. They don't have desks in front of them. Most of them will be walking between five and 10 kilometres to get to school on an empty stomach. And I just couldn't believe the determination and the will that they had um, to go to school every day and to, you know, the desire that they had to break themselves free from the cycle of poverty. So I knew that I didn't want to go home. So I decided uh, to go across the border to Uganda because Kenya was no longer safe. And when I got into Uganda, I was like, wow, it's even worse here than Kenya in a lot of ways. You know, there's, the people need so much more support. There are very limited government welfare systems. There are very limited, um, you know, numbers of good schools that have good teachers. So I decided, you know what, it can't be that hard to do something to make a difference. Um, and I've got kind of half a law degree and, you know, a fair bit of time on my hands. Surely I can build a school in Uganda. Um, and at the time, I'd met a friend of mine called Dave Everett, who went on to be my co-founder. And we obviously decided that two heads are better than one and decided to put our heads together to start School for Life. So it started in 2008 um, and we were about 21 years old at the time. Wow. So I guess that's my next question is how, <laughs> basically, how do you start this in university? I think a lot of students have such great ideas. They really want to start and they're such good ideas, but then we just don't know where to, where to start and we feel really powerless as well, um, just because of, of our experience, that kind of thing. Definitely. And I think sometimes the big vision can be really paralyzing. Yeah. Um, so I've always been a big advocate for kind of having a big vision, but then breaking it down into smaller parts and taking one step at a time. And at the end of the day, it really is about putting one foot in front of the other. So we put together a business plan, which was kind of the big plan the big idea what what are we going to do so we wanted to build three schools two primary one high school 
we wanted to have 1600 students and the graduates of the two primary schools would go into one larger high school. We were also really passionate about the schools being holistic in their approach. So we wanted to provide access to clean water, to healthcare, to nutrition so the kids could concentrate and grow. We wanted vocational and tech training so that the kids would have skills that they could use to be employed after they finished. So we sort of got that all down on paper and we're like, okay, well, we've got, you know, now we've got some really tactical steps that we need to take. So we need to put together a board of directors. Yeah. We need to register a company. We need to register a charity. We need to get fundraising licenses. Um, you can't just go around asking people for money. Um, and then, you know, little by little, as we sort of started to tick off those first few things, you know, and take the first few steps, things started to take shape. And then the next steps became clear and we just put one foot in front of the other and I am really a big believer in the fact that, you know, you can't, you know, you, there's a saying that says, you know, how you eat an elephant one chunk at a time. You can't eat the whole elephant. So you've just got to take it as it comes and maintain a fair bit of agility and flexibility um, in your approach as well, because things do change along the way. What you thought might have been a good plan may unfold to not be such a great plan. But I think the beautiful thing about being at uni is that you do have a bit more time on your hands that you might normally have. So we were able to dedicate some of that time to actually kind of contributing towards the setup of the NGO. And how long was it between, I guess, having the idea and starting it up to physically seeing a school built? Good question. It happened pretty fast. Um, so in 2008, we were in Kenya and Uganda. Um, in 2009, we spent every university holidays in Uganda again, getting field experience and understanding the way things work in Uganda. Um, in 2010, we purchased the first 10 acres of land and started the construction of the first two classrooms and 10 toilets. And we opened in January um, 2011 with our first 80 students and five teachers. Wow. So it did happen quickly, but I suppose one of the important things about fundraising and I guess um, building something is that you do have to have runs on the board. You do have to get runs on the board quite quickly in order to get momentum. And once you get momentum, things start to shift and change really quickly. So for us, having a business plan was really helpful. But when we were going and asking for capital and for funds for people to donate towards School for Life, often they're saying to us, so, you know, you're only 21 years old, come back to us when you've got some experience, come back to us when you've done something. So it's really important that we actually got some you know, runs on the board so that we were able to go back and say, okay, well, we've got two classrooms, but we want to build six or we want to build 16. You know, we've got, you know, 80 kids. We want to educate 1600. So it was just about trying to demonstrate impact and actually get things operational quite quickly. Mm. And in that process of like getting, talking to all these people and getting all this funding, how did you like stay true to the purpose? I think after going through all these processes and then getting knocked back, maybe you kind of like, like without getting disillusioned, I guess is my question at the process and making social change. Yeah, it's huge. And um, if I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of naysayers and critics when you try to set up something like this, um, you know, without having the field experience, the age behind us, you know, proper qualifications. I think, you know, nine out of 10 people that I asked to support School for Life said no. You know, people said to me, come back to me when you've grown up, come back to me when you've got a job, come back to me when you've got experience, don't come back to me, I think you're absolutely crazy. Um, but, you know, those naysayers and critics were the ones that kind of egged me on in some ways to want to prove them wrong and fueled my desire to be able to do more and to be able to actually get 
this idea off the ground. And, you know, when you're very driven by purpose and passion, I do believe that you don't let people get in your way. And I believe that following your passion is really important. Um, and when you find a deeper sense of purpose in what you do, um, you don't get deterred by those people who think that you're not going to be able to pull off what you think you're going to do. Mm. And in terms of like studying while still pursuing this and managing the two, was that hard? Um, like still studying, I guess, a full-time degree while also trying to get this off the ground and pursue it. And I guess... Yeah, um, it was. It was hard, definitely. And I think um, it was a juggle. Yeah. But I suppose... I definitely kind of wasn't a straight distinction type um, at uni anyway. I think for me, starting School for Life gave my law degree some purpose because I'd been working as a paralegal and I'd been battling to understand how I was actually going to use my law skills to do something that made me tick and that I was going to jump out of bed excited to do every day. So when I'd found that, I went, okay, well, cool, I definitely need this law degree and I need to finish it and I need to get through it. Um, but I've also got this other focus which kind of drives me and I'm passionate about and I love doing and is making a real difference. So they kind of married up quite nicely and it gave me, you know, the extra energy and enthusiasm that I needed to get the job done. Mm. So, yeah, when, once I'd graduated um, law school, it was it was a great footing. I, I would never take back that move. I think, you know, I've used my legal skills almost every day of my life ever since. Yeah. Okay. Um, and in terms of, okay, so now with the situation with the COVID-19 situation, it's impacted everyone everywhere. So just wanted your view on how it's impacted, not only, so obviously the children, everyone in Uganda, but also mm-hmm. anyone, you know, starting a social change project or continuing, how has it affected this field? Yeah, look, deeply. Um, COVID-19 has been a an incredible um, anomaly, kind of once in a lifetime event that nobody could ever be prepared for. Um, and it's changed our fundraising, it's changed our operations on the ground, um, and it's obviously brought society globally to a st- standstill. So I think in some ways, I guess it's created a sense of equality because of the fact that we're all suffering. Um, So it's kind of thrown the whole world into one boat, which has possibly created a more even playing field. Um, We've obviously all kind of faced some economic hardship, which has meant that um, fundraising has become more difficult for us. All of our events were cancelled, all of our trips to Uganda were cancelled. We needed to, you know, find new ways to adapt. And then in terms of operationally, our schools are closed at the moment. So we've actually, you know, our kids live in mud huts. They don't have access to electricity, running water. They don't have access to online learning because they don't have internet. So we're actually delivering, every couple of days, we're delivering work um, on motorbikes to the kids at their homes. Um, We're providing them with food relief, hygiene and sanitation packs. We're doing hand washing stations in the community. So it's just been really... Um, I suppose we've had to become really responsive and we've had to think quickly and adapt quickly to ensure that we are still supporting the communities um, that we're there to serve. And also, I suppose, from a fundraising perspective, to think about other ways of actually generating revenue in a very difficult market. So, yeah, it's been um, very challenging for us. Yeah. And any tips, I guess I wanted to know, maybe three, top three tips for students, Mm -hmm. I guess both in this time as well as just in general of how to 
start something like this because it seems like this amazing idea and you can make all this change but then the steps to get there just seem so drawn out and yeah yeah so any tips on how to Sure. I mean, I think firstly is to look around you and just to see who's doing what and if there's anybody that you can join with. Um, I do think that the charity market is quite saturated. So, you know, I think it's always good to kind of apply your passion and talents to something that already exists if possible. Um, Field experience is really important. So going off and getting field experience with other organisations before you start something of your own. I really think that that served me very well working with a couple of different NGOs and understanding the way that they've operated. Um, Planning is just absolutely critical, making sure that you've conducted kind of full risk assessments and you understand what you're getting yourself into and set timelines and goals around what you want to achieve. And then I suppose development of relationships is also critical, both in Australia and, you know, overseas where we operate. For us, School for Life was always about empowering local people to help themselves. Now, you can't do that if you just go in and tell people what to do. So for us, it was also about employing all locals and ensuring that they really own and run the schools and the programs that we deliver. So I think, you know, it's critical to spend time on relationships and building those relationships and trust with your team because you can't get anything done on your own. You've got to work together with people. So I think those are probably the key things, but also just really putting one foot in front of the other, as I already mentioned to you. I think, you know, you've just got to keep on pushing and you've got to have find within yourself a deep sense of drive and determination because none of this comes easy. Um, You know, you spend days often thinking, you know, am I going to be able to achieve the next goal Um, and keeping on pushing and getting up and just being relentless with your determination. Um, And if you don't have that drive and passion to kind of start something, then I would definitely recommend joining somebody who's already started. Yeah. And then still being able to make a change without having all that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's an immense pressure. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. Um, So when things like COVID break out, it's on me to make sure that things, you know, continue or don't continue and to make the hard calls and that's not always easy it's not very glamorous always um, having to make the hard calls but that's part of it that's part of running any organization thank you so much Annabelle and I guess to wrap up we always play a game just to keep it fun so today's game is would you rather and I've got uh five questions of would you rather to for you. So firstly, would you rather never use social media again or never watch another TV show or movie? I'd definitely never watch another TV show or movie. <laughs> be the funniest person in the room or the more, most intelligent person in the room? Um, most intelligent. And be able to run like really fast or fly? Run. And be able to teleport anywhere or read minds. Definitely teleport. And the last one, which has been a very controversial one in previous episodes, get stuck in traffic every single time or always have really slow internet. Oh. 
I think I'd rather be stuck in traffic. Yes, a lot of people <laughs> that because especially now everything's online, so you can just do. It. Yeah, and you can always listen to podcasts or, um, <laughs> you know, sort of listen to music or what have you if you're stuck in traffic. But I don't know because it's tricky because at the moment there's no traffic, so um, yeah, it's been quite nice um, not having traffic going going everywhere all the time. Thank you so much, Adderall, Um and my pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, We'll catch you on our next episode soon. Bye. Thanks so much for having me.